Welcome back for another installment of our Beyond the Sunday Sermon. Pastor Craig here with Pastor Jerry as always. Good morning. And Anna Corver is, is back with us, the expert on parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pressure. <laughs> Not what I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she's here, so we can't wait to hear the wisdom. Uh, we are in Ephesians 6, the first half. So Paul, if you remember, he is uh, out of his, his descriptions of the church and exhorting everyone, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. He then addresses wives and husbands. That was last week. And this week he addresses children and parents and then he addresses uh, slaves and masters. So that was uh, what we looked at. I think there, again, is some uh, surprising countercultural ways in which Paul is, is speaking to each of these roles. Uh, the fact that he's addressing the one who would have been considered inferior uh, first is significant. The fact that he is addressing them at all is significant, showing that, that slaves and masters even were in the same church um, and that children were certainly a part of the church. And then just reminding all of us that, that every part of our life, every role that we play is to be in the Lord, um, no matter what kind of power or authority we think we have. Uh, it still comes out of that submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. So um, just... Uh, just that's a quick reminder for us. And so where should we begin, y'all? Uh, well, so you mentioned briefly in this sermon about our jobs as parents isn't to make our children to be Christians. Um, it's to raise them in the Lord. And I guess the question I have is how, as a parent, do you know you have done your job mm. when your kids leave? <laughs> is it, Because it's them being Christian seems like a end mark. I've done my job properly, but how do we know otherwise mm. if we've done our job and done what God has called us to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I mean, I think you'd want to go back to first just some some basic principles of theology as far as let's say they do when they leave the house. They are Christians. They profess faith on their own. You wouldn't you wouldn't take credit for that, right? You would say, well, the Spirit of God has stirred in their heart to, to give them faith. So I think even, even that, of course, that is a goal, but it's not a goal that we can accomplish. Um, so if that goal gets met or not, it's still not fully dependent on us. Um, so that's one, one sort of in light of what we believe about regeneration and how we get faith as a gift of God. But, of course, that does not mean, um, as some caricatures of Reformed theology would, would put it, that does not mean you just sit back and relax and hope the Spirit does His work. So, I mean, I think the way it gets described here is, is discipline and instruction or even education. Um, it's fostering that environment just like you would in a, in a school where they are uh, learning to know what it means to be in the Lord. Um, it's not just teaching of the Lord. Um, I think it's, it's also raising them up in the church 
and helping them see what it means to belong to the Lord. Um, but yeah, I guess that's where I would start is like hoping to provide a context in which mm-hmm. Christ is King. This is why this is who he is. This is what he has done. That's where I would start at least. Um, so you say discipline and instruction, like a school. <laughs> Don't know if I quite like that. Um, because the King James Version translates it nurture and admonition, which I see very differently as discipline from discipline and instruction. Yeah. It sounds much more gentle and <laughs> not as school-like in my mind. Why is there that difference in translation? It's, yeah, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think nurture and admonition is a little soft. It, it, it's the, it's, it is the an ancient word for education, mm-hmm. um, but even that can be taken in different ways. And so maybe maybe you had a bad school experience, so you don't want it to feel <laughs> that way. Um, but certainly a healthy school experience includes both teaching content, but also fostering healthy you know, self-esteem. Sure. So in this case, it would be fostering healthy Christ esteem, like leading them to, to believe in Jesus. And even when we use the word discipline in our tradition, it really, it really means being a disciple. And so every time you hear mm-hmm. a sermon, you're under discipline of the Lord. But that's not a negative thing. It's just a sort of way to express this is what it means to be under the Lord. Right, right. I I guess I feel like we're pretty good at knowing what instruction is, yeah. at teaching facts and things like that. But um, a couple of weeks ago when you preached on, well, I think it's Ephesians 3, that prayer that Paul has, so much in that prayer for the Ephesians is not factual. I mean, God's love surpasses factual knowledge. And I've been praying through it, and just wondering how I can open up my kids' minds to something that passes knowledge. I can teach mm. them all the Bible verses about mm. God's love, but there's something else there that needs to happen, mm. I mm. feel like, than just instructing. Yeah. So one of the things that, like, um, I think the Bible gives many, many examples on how instruction was, was used. One, I think, like, the idea of, Torah, the word Torah, like mm-hmm. the law, is, is the picture is like this fatherly instruction, and you get this through the Proverbs. And one of my favorite, I think it's in Proverbs 5, I, I forget, but there Solomon is remembering when he was a child and sitting underneath his father's teaching. Now, who was Solomon's father? He's remembering David. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, he's sitting listening to his father instruct him, and he was just, he, he's, he, he's, he's rehearsing things that he saw, not just things that he heard. Mm-hmm. And he learned from that. So it's this this instruction is not just okay. Sit down and let me walk you through the order of Lutus. Let me walk you through this book of the Bible. Though that there's part of it, but it's also I, I, I like the word nurture in in the sense that that is what instruction is meant to do. It's meant to nurture the mind, but mm-hmm. not just the mind. It is meant to nurture the the, the whole person. Like I'm trying to I, I'm trying to show you how to live via through the words I say, but also my posture in life. Um, and because instruction is both taught and, or learning, should I say, it's both taught and caught. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
I, um, I've been taught particular things, but most of the things that have shaped me have been caught. I, they've just stuck to me like glue. And w for whatever reason, I don't know why. Some of it is because I'm just uh, the person, um, I, I adore them, so I naturally am drawn and I want to mimic them. But other things I just don't know, just repetition. So um, I, I think it's Proverbs 5, but I love that particular passage mm -hmm. because you, you get a picture of David discipling his son. Uh -huh. um, and it's tender. It's tender. Yeah, I think there's a... Um if we compare nurture and, and instruction as, as two different things or, or media and message, I think anytime we're trying to do Christian instruction, uh, it, it ought to be a way in which it's, it's done in the character of a Christian. And so even if we think of content being transferred, information being transferred, that still should never be done in a Christian context that's not gracious and patient and kind and loving and so you you wouldn't want to pit those against each other i guess is i think is part of the goal um so you're 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 going to be nurturing your children in the lord all the time not just when you sit down and read a bible story mm -hmm. um so it's 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 you don't want to have a false dichotomy i think is all i'm saying so is that kind of where that before it talks about discipline and instruction where he says not to provoke your children to wrath that's more of a how you're living your life in front of them and how you are treating them as people it seems like it yeah it seems it seems pretty broad in its description as as the authority that you are and as the authority that you have do not provoke them to anger uh, that that seems so tricky to me because I provoke my children to anger all the time just by asking them to clean up their toys. <laughs> but I don't think that's what it, it means. No. I feel like it's a really hard line to walk and actually discern where provoking to anger yeah. is different from eliciting obedience from them. Yeah, that, I, it's not dependent necessarily on if they get angry or not. Right, right. Which is important. It's not... It's not avoid all, uh, make sure they don't respond in anger. I, I think that's mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in this case, especially thinking that he's addressing fathers, this, this authority, don't abuse the authority you have. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can call out obedience without abusing the authority. Mm -hmm. So he's right. asking for a different type of leadership from fathers totally. than just obey me because I am me. Yeah, mm. I think that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, as I was trying to parse that out, I was thinking of God as Father, like mm. in the Old Testament, leading the Israelites through the desert. It seems like He provokes them to anger <laughs> many times by not giving them what they need, like water and food, and they get angry and frustrated because they're close to death. But that. We have to assume that God's not actually provoking them to anger. Mm. That's a great, great way to look at it and to, to try and understand what he means. Because, yeah, you're totally right to go there. Um, yeah, I think what God would say he was doing would be he was humbling them. Mm -hmm. Trying to teach them that they can live in dependence on him. Which, of course, is a good thing that we need right. to learn. And so... 
we would not say, of course, that it's it's abusive. We would say it's for his good because look how unappreciative they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having just been saved from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Will we say that that's God provoking though? Would we say that? Would we say that that's is that the word to use with God? I'm not sure if it if it actually says that. I can't remember if it says that anywhere in the Bible, but God provoking us to anger. Well, no, I don't think we would if in, yeah. if we're saying not in the way that Ephesians six says it to fathers. Right. But We'd I, say he's testing them. Testing. Right. Testing. But that's I guess that's, that's what I'm getting at. Um, what does it mean to provoke? Because it's not just oh somebody the response as you're saying, Craig. The response of anger means that the parent therefore has provoked them. Mm-hmm to it um so what is it what does the word provoke mean i think um it can all you can also think of it as exasperate Mm -hmm. and exasperate is to do something that the recipient can no longer respond well with Mm -hmm. so i think if you are trying to get your child to obey in a way that you know they can't Mm -hmm that they are either incapable or you know that they're too tired to do it or whatever, um, then that can be provoking. Mm-hmm. I think God, what God was doing in the wilderness, they could obey. Like they, yeah. they should have been able to say, thank the Lord. He has saved me. I'll follow him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't exasperating mm-hmm. from God's perspective. If I may push the God in the wilderness as father <laughs> a little bit further, um, I, just thinking about it a little more, it seems like from all outward perspectives, like if you're trying to make people Christian or make them believe in God, that God did a bad job of that because his child Israel ran away from him and mm-hmm. rejected him. Like, so if we think that God is the example of a perfect father, he did not succeed in the way we would <laughs> say success would be because he had a greater purpose mm-hmm. in mind. Now, is that pushing it a little too far to say to say that? Or can we draw some sort of comfort from parents from that? As a new parent myself, I, I can draw some comfort um, but also knowing the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah. Knowing yeah. the rest of the story. So I can draw comfort knowing that um, God in his love, for whatever reason, didn't just, you know, slap him around and say, okay, you're, gonna, you're just going to follow me. Like, he, he connected himself to a people that were going to drag his name through the mud. Mm-hmm. And yet he didn't leave them. They left him. He constantly pursued them from Genesis 3 all the way to the very end of the Bible. He's, and he's still doing it today. He's just constantly was chasing after them. And, I'm, and I think we're supposed to get the picture of the prodigal son yeah, in, in yeah, that as, as well. Right. Um, it was the son's rebellion, mm-hmm. not the father's provocation. It was, but it was the father's love that's highlighted. And it was the father's love that the, 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 the rebellious son was reminded of whenever he was in the pits. And I think the, the, the comfort I can draw from that is if, if my son ever one day leaves a faith that um, I've planted the, the seeds of, 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 of God's love of, and of my love into him, that mm-hmm. whenever, he, whenever the Lord stirs his heart, changes it, um, he will run back. 
Yeah. Um, oh, where to run to oh, our where children to run to. And always right. be there for them. Yeah, I think it is meant to be liberating to think of it that way, that we can't make our children Christian. Mm-hmm. So you can you can try to relieve yourself of that burden. Um because it really is they you really are a steward. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We are a steward even of our own lives and then anything else we are also stewards of. Anything we have, own, and then any gift like a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on behalf of God, who alone can raise the dead, like we are to provide, put them into a place where they can mature and grow mm-hmm. in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, even that... God has called us to be parents knowing that we mm. can't do a perfect job just like Jerry just said about he tied his name to a people who were going to drag his name through the mud and still ties his name to mm. the church who drags his name through the mud all the time mm. and that he still has chosen the church to do his work he has still chosen parents to do their work even though mm. he knows mm. they can't do it perfectly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it is. It, it, it's this like wonderful dance, or or just this wonderful trust in us. Even though we're not ultimately responsible, he's given us a lot of secondary agency. <laughs> if you want to put it that way. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't make them Christian, and you also can't cause their damnation. That's true. <laughs> so that's good news. No matter how terrible, it goes the other way too. No matter how terrible of a parent you are or how terrible of a parent you have, you can't blame them, mm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. a sobering thought. That's good. Anything else on children and parents before we go to the next section? Um, well, so a lot of this seems like you can just do it, follow the motions, and that just be the end of it. Is there any uh, bigger picture that we should see through a child's obedience or a child themselves obeying? Because I, my children know they're supposed to obey, but do they really understand the bigger picture of what that obedience is and what it means? Mm. And, mm. I mean, it certainly is meant to be a picture of um, our obedience to the Lord and the Lord's love of us. Absolutely. Um, And so I think that's why you also have children used by Jesus as these examples of what it means to be in the kingdom. We have to become like children. And so... In that case, children do become examples to adults of when they when they do actually obey or when they do actually depend upon their parent in some really profound ways when they're super young. That shows us our dependence hmm. upon him, for sure. Um, I mean, I think you're also asking how does how is this obedience different, and it is different than how he addresses wives. Um, he said, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their own husbands. Um, and that's different than children obey your parents. 
um, there is there's a different sort of authority at work, mm-hmm. I would say there. Um, this is how children are normally raised to come to saving faith is in the family. Mm. Uh, it's not the only way, certainly, uh, but it's like the normal way that he has set it up through the, mm. through the household covenant. But nowhere are we see, do we see, you know, wives are supposed to learn what it means to be a Christian uh, mm. from their husband. I mean, sure, that, that hopefully is part of it, but it's like they're already Christians. You know, they're already one in Christ um, with their husband. Mm. So it's a different relationship altogether Mm. are daughters supposed to learn submission through their parents and sons supposed to learn their Mm. godly headship is that through Mm. instruction or is that through Mm. that's a good question yeah i mean hopefully they should see a good example sure Mm -hmm. definitely um but does discipline and instruction would it look different part of that yeah oh is it different to a for a, to a daughter for a versus a son. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine. Sure. I think it probably should be. It should be different only in. I don't know about different. I think I think it can be. You're explaining why this is what it means. If you do become a wife, mm. this is what it means. Mm. And if you do become a husband, this this is what it means. Or when you're looking for a husband, mm. you know, this is the sort of thing you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, but I don't think it's different in the sense of. They're raised in the Lord differently. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're, they both have equal rights in the kingdom. You know, they're both, they're both ought to be taught what it means to follow Jesus. And they both have to uh, give up their lives to follow him. You know, there's, there's so much equality in the kingdom. Um, that you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to differentiate too hard. Well, and you, they also need to learn. Both of them need to learn how to submit to your authority as a parent. Totally, and therefore to the, to each other. Totally, probably as siblings. Totally, you can do that. Um, totally. I mean, there's still going to be differences, you know. But but every kid is different. But you know, sons can, are different than daughters often, and but even. One son is different from another son. Mm-hmm. So there's still going to be ways in which we ought to try to accommodate to their God-given personality. I definitely see that in my own kids. My two boys are very, are very different from each other, and then they're both very different from their older sister. Mm-hmm. So they have a God-given personality that you'd want to try to account for. Yeah, I, I think one of the questions, I think it was a starting question, Anna. You said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, you said, um, is there a bigger purpose for children obeying? Is that, mm-hmm. I, so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm drawn back to, I said Proverbs 5 is where it came from. It's actually Proverbs 4, close. where it came from. <laughs> I was very close. But, um, you know, Proverbs is basically riffing off. Um, how to apply the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And Paul is riffing off the Fourth Commandment, or the Fourth, Fifth, Fourth, Third. Honor third, your Father. Honor your Father of the Fifth fifth Commandment. Um, and that's exactly what Proverbs is doing right here in chapter 4. It's, mm-hmm. it's applying it. And the purpose for the son and the daughter 
um, obeying the parents, the father's instruction is that they may live, mm-hmm. they may have life. And Paul says that he said that you may it's right and you may live well in the land. Things mm-hmm. may go well with you. Um, and it says it three times all throughout this particular proverb that they may live. This is going to be your life. It's going to save you from destruction and it's going to push you towards joy. Mm-hmm. And that is what the point is. It's going to guard your heart. It says, and it's one of my favorite verses, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the well springs of life. Mm-hmm. One of the things like I, I pray to God I'm able to do with my son, it's going to be imperfect. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> it's never going to be perfect, but I, I'm, I want to guard his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, by the things that he watches, listens to, but also how he experiences me and my wife's love for, for him. Um, how we train him to to take care of that inner world, to experience that inner world. And because the moment that is sapped from somebody, <laughs> the wellsprings of life is is it's 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 clogged. Um, no, I, I yeah. So if you want to read it, whoever's listening, if you guys want to read it, it's it is a great application for the verses we're talking about in Ephesians mm-hmm. six. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's right here is where uh, Solomon says. Um, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother. <laughs> I mean, I love that. Here he is with David and who else? Who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Dave, that story right there, that is epic failure <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the nth degree. And yet Solomon can look back at that and say, this is my loving mother. This was my loving father. Yeah. Even with that back, background. Crazy. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And to think that a military leader like David is tender. Yeah. Yeah. With his children. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The father doesn't have to be the authoritative personality figure that we right. characterize. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Right. Mm. All right. What about slaves and masters? Mm. I I tried to share some of what. I thought was going on in the context there. This obviously is is uh, surprising, hard to hear, uh, for sure, uh, and and we know has been horribly abused uh, throughout the history of the church to uh, basically keep slavery in place, uh, especially in the American context. Um, so we would we would obviously want to say. That is a, a, a terrible misunderstanding of the passage. Mm. There is no justification here for slavery. He's addressing them where they are and saying, you have this role now. He's not addressing the political power players and saying, make sure you keep the institution going. Mm. Um, That's far from what he's doing. Uh, and, and I do think he's, in effect, laying the groundwork for the end of slavery. I mean, if the masters really believe what he tells them, then they will realize that their their structure, their power uh, system is on uh, feeble ground. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. it, is, it is not uh, defensive, defendable mm. um, because there is one Lord, there's no partiality. It's not, it's not grounded in God's will. Um, so I think that's straight up in the passage, but, um, any, any questions, thoughts, we can talk about how this applies to us in other related authority structures. Well, I had one quick question about it. You, you mentioned that 
it's not setting up a system of slavery masters as um, like it does sons and fathers, but from a cursory reading of the passage, uh, there doesn't seem to be that much difference. Where does that difference come from? Yeah, because he doesn't say, he doesn't ground any of his injunctions in something that the Lord has set up. Okay. So uh, the wife and husband is very clearly pointing us to Christ and the church. It's grounded in Genesis 2. Mm-hmm. It's grounded in this is done in the Lord. And then children and parents is grounded in the Ten Commandments. It's grounded in you know, the household structure. Mm-hmm. Masters and servants is simply applying what it means to be a Christian in the role they find themselves. Uh, so he's saying, Master, since you are a Christian, not because you own this slave in the Lord or something like that. Like there's no, there's no defense of uh, the fact that he owns them. Yeah, there's no reference back to the Old Testament where right. anything. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you did say this in a sermon, so I want to echo it and say it, maybe say it a little differently. But I think we have to appreciate, and I use appreciate not necessarily in a good way, but um, appreciate how difficult it is for our American minds to even hear the word slave and it not be um, met with some sort of abolition. Like, we're, it's hard for us to be pleased without there being, because this is not just an historical account of slavery. Like, um, this is Paul saying, slaves, here's, your, here's how you function. Obey. Their master, and that 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 is quite distasteful. It's hard for us to not think of how it how it's been abused. Um, but I think it's helpful to remember that as though as, as right as it is to be angry at the institution of slavery, whether it was chattel slavery in the in the you know 1600s through the 1800s um, or in the Roman Greco world, we should be angry at the institution. It was not good. But we have to remember there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours where a slave, all they had, all they knew what to do in that moment was either to obey or disobey. There was no like, okay, hurry for abolition to come. (laughs) You know, William Wilberforce wasn't on the scene. (laughs) They didn't know. Yeah. I think it's a good question to ask, like, what would we expect Paul to have said? Right, and, but, and Paul is speaking into that, if I can say it, casual moment. He's speaking to a very just where a slave and a master are rubbing shoulders with each other from day to day to day to day, hour upon hour upon hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's speaking into that cultural moment. It's like, this is how you function. And that's where it's very powerful to realize, even at that level, Paul is undermining, undermining the institution. And I think it's powerful to see what he says to the slave, Mm -hmm. that you actually can obey God, and you're obeying God even despite your master. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of relativizing of the master's authority, because he says, you are doing this as to the Lord. Whether your master is a good master or a terrible master, um, it's, it's not letting that master have so much power over him that it leads him to sin. It leads him to lose his dignity. So the slave has not lost his dignity, even though the whole world around him has said he has none. He has no rights. 
He's, well, I mean, you can't tell him to run away because that would lead to death or terrible and poverty. Um, so it, it's really incredibly dignifying, I think, what he says here. And, and I hope this isn't me just trying to massage the scripture. Um, but he does say, like, you can actually serve the Lord because your master has the same Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, not because he is somehow closer to God because of the, mm-hmm. because of the, the power structure. Mm-hmm. So to bring up a really hard thing to talk about, what about sex slavery? These people who mm-hmm. their slavery is one of degradation and... Yeah, no, that's a great... Oh, man, I'm so glad you say that, and I wish I had said something like it in the sermon. Um, I think that's where it's clear the... Uh, they're trying to get you to commit sin. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, in that case, I think you, you know, we, if you can address someone like that, the address is we're going to help you get out of that. Right. <laughs> we're going to help you get out of that situation. We're not going to tell you to obey. So, as the slave, if they're told that, they disobey their master yeah they do what the apostles do in acts they say we're going to obey god not man but slaves don't have any choice in the matter like that's just their life they don't have any choice to i'm going to disobey well tough luck here right 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 i mean the they still do have dignity enough to obey they can still please the lord and so one, if if somebody if a Christian is actually getting to address them, that means hopefully that the church can actually come around them and provide the resources and the system to get them out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about an address here, right, to a church. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I mean, I think I want to say this. I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll cut this <laughs> cut this off post production, but. Uh, the, the ultimate call to be a Christian, and again, if we're addressing Christians who want to follow the Lord, then we can say there will come a time, just like the history of the martyrs shows us, there will come a time where maybe your faith requires your death. Mm-hmm. That I will not sin just because some power structure tells me to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's what it means in that situation like it meant to and still means to a lot of martyrs around the world I think that's I think that's what the Christian message says which still gives incredible dignity to that person because it's being said from the Lord who says I will not be separated from you even in death Mm -hmm. so it is better for you to die in me than to live in sin Mm -hmm. Uh, that just has to speak to the the incredible power of an identity mm. in Christ. Like, if you can firmly root, I mean, firmly seems too light of a word, <laughs> root your identity in Christ and that be who you are, then that you're willing to die before, mm-hmm. before sinning. Mm-hmm. Mm. Go back to children. How do I make that? <laughs> How do I have my children have such a firmly rooted identity in Christ, where their work, their work does not define them. It's how they do it. 
mm-hmm. for God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's very good question when you bring it back to children. It really speaks to like the priorities of how we want to raise our kids. Mm-hmm. We assume our priority ought to be <clears throat> providing so much comfort and safety and convenience. And that may not be raising very strong Christians. Right. Because you're you're taking all risk away. You're taking all danger away. You're taking all need to depend upon God. And if they don't see parents having to depend on God, they're not going to think it's really that important. Hmm. But also for taking the slaves and masters to our work today, just so many, so much of our lives is just menial labor. Uh, How do we take that menial labor Mm. and use it as to the Lord? How do you Mm. take just your day to day to day, hour by hour, like, and Mm. work to the Lord? I think it still goes back to the good news that like you are actually doing this unto God. And so when you're changing a diaper or doing the dishes, your whole being is in the Lord and you have the ability to glorify him in that moment. Hmm. Uh, you also have the ability to sin in that moment. So, so it's not a neutral moment. Uh, you can you can try to foster a spirit of maybe you're praying you know silently or maybe you're uh, trying to think about other ways that you want to work on your sin and or how is you know there's there's lots of different things practicing the presence of God sort of stuff that um, can mean this is a way to glorify God yeah um, we don't want to get tricked into thinking there are neutral moments where I can just do an outward action and whatever's going on in my heart doesn't matter. Yeah. Neutral or even think it's this moment's insignificant. Um, or it's, 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 a, it's a nuisance as you're getting at with like, you know, what's going on, on in your heart. And I'm, I'm reminded of... Uh, you know the the Karate Kid, or not the, yeah, the Karate Kid, with Mr. Miyagi, and he's 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 you know the 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 little kid wants just to learn karate, and Mr. Miyagi says, "Okay, paint this fence." He's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, so the store, paint this fence, <laughs> wax these cars, and the kid's like, "I want to learn this," but when, but as soon as he got he was getting into a fight when tough when things got tough, those reflexes just came out. Mm. And I think that though the, the habits of a spiritual life, the, those intentional habits, whenever we are up in the morning at 3 a.m. or our child is acting a certain type of way or our spouse, we're not connected with our spouse, we have habits that we just naturally fall back on. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's what it looks like to do everything unto the Lord. Like, nothing's insignificant. Everything, in a sense, is, is either turning my heart towards Jesus or away from Jesus. Um, and it's just being conscientious of that. And that, that's where it's important to have the, the, the discipline of, yeah, coming to church, just little things like that, or reading my Bible or praying or journaling, whatever, however your spiritual formation is practiced, having those moments where you are waxing the car when you really want to be storming the gates of hell, um, or, you know, watching your kids 
obey every single day. Like, you just want to see them get it, finally. Um, yeah, I don't want to keep rambling on with that, but... <laughs> yeah. That scene's been helpful for me. Yeah. All right. We better wrap up. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Peace.